Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Good morning, everybody. Y'all good? How's the year going so far? 2023, best year yet? It's only been two weeks. You couldn't have messed it up in two weeks. Now, is that even possible? Started a new message series last week entitled Best Year Ever. We're talking about the year 2023 and the fact that I believe God really wants something different for you this year. But uh, a, a couple of basic principles you have to understand. If you're going to have something different, something's going to have to change, right? If you keep doing what you're doing now, you're going to keep getting what you're getting now. You know that, right? I mean, that is the most common sense thing I've ever said to you. If you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. If you really, really want 2023 to be something very different from 2020 and 2021 and 2022, then you've got to do something different. You might say, well, Pastor Tim, those years were terrible, but I, you know, I, I didn't, it wasn't my fault we had a pandemic, you know. None of that was my fault. I understand. There are choices you don't get to make, and there are always going to be things that happen that are outside your control, but there are always choices you can make. You understand? And the choices you make have a greater, a more decisive factor over the kind of life that you end up living. Uh, if you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting exactly what you're getting. So we talked about last week how to... Uh, begin to have something different. I'm talking about five steps over the course of five messages, five steps, five choices that you can make in order to really have a different kind of life, a different kind of year. I said this last week, do this first. First thing you're going to do is submit to God's purpose for your life. That's step one, submit to God's purpose for your life. Today, I want to talk about something. This is something you just do first. This is something you're going to do every day. Do this daily, and that is to say the words, deny yourself. Yeah, that's exactly the way I thought you'd say that too. Um, to deny yourself. I think that's always been hard. This is really the, the, the key to following Jesus. Jesus himself said, if anyone is going to be my follower, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's always been the way of the gospel, but I think it's much harder for you and for me to absorb this truth, this obligation to deny ourselves for the simple reason that the entire world around us has a very contradictory message. The world tells us, be true to yourself. Everything you hear in the world, everything in our culture has this one driving message, and that is to be true to yourself. What's everybody say? You do you. You know, you can find your truth. You get to live your truth. You just stand up for your truth. And, and this is the world in which we live. And I'm not sure that you have begun to understand how very uh, contradictory to the gospel, this false gospel of the world is. Uh, you cannot deny yourself and at the same time think you'll be true to yourself. But that's the kind of uh, uh, dichotomy that we're stuck with these days. The world says be true to yourself. It is everywhere. The anthem of being true to yourself was probably sung by Princess Elsa in that climactic moment in the movie Frozen. How many seen it? You know the song? 
Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's pretty amazing. Elsa steps out in, in, in her coming out song, right? And what does she sing? She says, uh, it's time to see what I can do, uh, to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, right? Let it go, yeah. Don't be clapping for that. Y'all, I was about to, about to say something about that, yeah. Um, yeah. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I am free. She sings, let it go, let it go. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? She's singing a song, and again, uh, and all of our kids know that song, and I'm not saying it's, I'm, I'm not saying it's a sin to watch Frozen, but I think it's a sin to just sit through and continue to absorb the message of the world and never become mindful of the lies you begin to believe when you do that. The idea that you could just simply be true to yourself. The idea that you can step out in your life and live your truth and there be no right, no wrong, no rules for you. That's, that's an extraordinary level of lying that the world tells us. And yet, most of us just simply accept it as common sense. The idea that you should live your true life, that you should live your truth, that you should be authentic, and that you should follow your feelings and pursue your happiness, and that you should do you. I mean, that just makes so much sense. And, and as I'm saying, my concern as your pastor is the number of you who have absorbed that. You have sort of subconsciously just adopted that same philosophy of life as, as if uh, the most important part of life is to be true to yourself. Uh, as uh, Heather just mentioned, at the end of the song, uh, Let It Go, if you notice, Elsa is alone and isolated in a castle of ice that she constructed herself. So obviously there might be a better way. And I'd like to talk about a better way, a, a, a better philosophy than the one the world has to give you. And, and I find it in John chapter 3 with an example, a man who ain't never going to be any kind of Disney princess. Uh, his name is John the Baptizer. He's really something else. Uh, you'll never see anybody else like him. John the Baptizer wore animal skins. Uh, he ate bugs. And for the most part, uh, nobody had ever seen anything like him. His life raised so many questions including in John chapter 3, where we'll pick up. Jesus himself says that there's no greater man ever to walk the planet than John the baptizer. So I think if Jesus sees some greatness in this man, you and I should pay attention to see what we can learn from John the baptizer. Uh, it's all right here. John chapter 3, verse 22. John chapter 3, verse 22. That's the gospel of John. John's the apostle, but this is a different John, John the baptizer. That's who we're talking about in, in chapter 3, verse 22. Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there baptizing people. At this time, John the baptizer was baptizing at Enon near Salim because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the, the one you identified as the Messiah, he's also baptizing people. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. Now, who are they talking about? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. John replied, 
No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how I plainly told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. Verse 30. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He must increase, I must decrease. John's amazing, amazing. He's so amazing that in the beginning of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the Apostle John is writing this amazing poetic prologue about who Jesus is, right? It's that passage that starts out, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything was created by Him, and the light comes into the darkness, and it's that amazing prologue about Jesus. But if you'll notice, there are two or three times in the middle of that prologue that John the Apostle has to stop and say, now, I'm not talking about John the Baptist. Because he almost anticipates that people in this day, people in his day, when you start talking like that, they might say, yeah, that must be John the Baptizer. I mean, John the Baptizer was that kind of famous. He was that kind of big deal. By the time the Gospel of John is written by historical documents, it seems that there were followers of John the Baptizer on three continents, and that's a good 20 years after he's been dead. Followers of John the Baptizer on three continents, 20 years after he was dead, and John the Baptist, as far as we know, never went much more than 15 miles past the place where he baptized. That's pretty extraordinary. In the early part of the Gospel of John, the Pharisees send a squadron of goons to come over and and ask John the Baptist one question, who are you? Who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are, Are you Elijah? Are you some other prophet? Who are you? I mean, they were that worried about him. They, they were that scandalized by John the baptizer. I'm telling you, this man's life raises questions. Who are you, they say? Who are you? The, the prophet Elijah? The Messiah? John the baptizer looks him square in the eye and says, I am the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now see, John got that from the Bible. He's just quoting the Bible there. But I think it's amazing that when they ask John, who is it that you are? Who who do you think you are? John's answer comes from Scripture. When John talks about himself and his purpose, it's a kingdom purpose. So when they say, who are you? His only answer is, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. That means at some point John the Baptist was reading the Bible and he read that verse and he said, that's who I am, that that's what I am. You understand that? That's how he answered the question. He answers it from God's own word. Who are you? In another place, what we read today, he says, well, it's kind of like a wedding. I tell you one thing, I'm not the bridegroom. I am not the big deal. If this is a wedding, consider me an usher or maybe a groomsman, but I am not the big deal. Jesus is the big deal. That's John. And as a matter of fact, I mean, John is facing what looks like the kind of demise of his ministry. His whole ministry is fizzling. And his followers come to him and say, John, man, everybody's leaving us. I mean, if you look around you, you, you got fewer and fewer people and everybody's going and following Jesus. And what does John say? I thought I told you plainly enough, I'm not the one. I'm not the big deal. He is the big deal. 
And then John says the words, he's got to increase. I've got to decrease. He's going to become more and more. I'm just going to continue to become less and less. Do you understand what makes John so great? It's that right there. He is absolutely convinced that the whole purpose of his life is to disappear into Christ. I'm not the big deal. I'm a voice. I'm like an usher at the wedding. He's the big deal. He's going to become more and more. I just need to become less and less. I'm going to disappear into Christ. Who is he? I mean, who is John? When we meet him in Scripture, he just appears in the wilderness already just on fire with purpose and, and, and this amazing self-knowledge. He, he knows who he is. He, he knows what his purpose is. Where, where do you get that? I mean, how do you figure out who you are? I'm asking you now, I mean, who, who, are, who are you? How would you answer the question? When you're a teenager, you probably struggle with that because that's actually, and I'm not, all you teenagers in the house, I'm not making fun of you, y'all are just funny. And it's fun to watch teenagers try to figure out who they are. How do they do that? Typically, they just look outside themselves. They look at other people and they just imitate what they see. Now, they don't think that's what they're doing, but that's what they're doing. Man, before I was a pastor, I was a youth minister, and back in my youth ministry days, I had this kid who was in, in middle school kind of just a geek, a, a dork, a doofus. All of us in middle school were geeks, dorks, and doofuses. And you think I'm not talking to you, but I just, you know, bring us the picture. Just bring us your middle school picture, and then you can't argue, you dork, and you cannot argue with me. You were a dork, a doofus, a geek. Uh, and this kid was too, but then he went to high school. Like, like he, he walked in a dork, and then like one Wednesday, he just showed up, on, showed up at church, showed up at youth meeting. He was a brand new person. This kid overnight became a skater. There you, yeah, amen. Yeah, I know. I know. Now, he, didn't, he hadn't ever been on a skateboard yet, but he saw the kids at school that were the skaters, and he thought they were cool. Now, they were cool. Yeah. Chad, you're not old enough to have been a skater back in, in this kid's day. This was way back in the day. So all of a sudden, he, he, he had this haircut where the bangs came way down to here, and he could do this all the time. And he didn't have any hair except on, on the front. He'd, he'd flap those bangs back. And he was tight rolling his jeans, you know. He'd tight roll his jeans, and he had, like, vans, like, you know, like skater shoes. And, uh, and then he had this T-shirt he made himself. Because he was in a hurry to become this new person. So he made a t-shirt with this A and a circle around it. What was, he, what was he standing for? Anarchy. Yeah. He didn't know what that was. He had no idea what that was. I mean, it, 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 was, it was, you know, long history in British punk and all of that. But anyway, he was all about anarchy and, you know, bangs down here and skateboard, though he didn't have one yet. I said, dude, what are you doing? Like, like you know, is, is this a costume? You know, he said, no. He said, you know, I'm different. I said, well, you know, I can see that. I can see that you are. He said, no, you got to understand. I'm, I'm different. I'm not like other kids. I'm different. And I thought that was the funniest thing because like a week later, I, I picked him up from school and uh, took him out and we met some of his friends. And you know what the thing is, that kid was different just like everybody else in his group. You know what I mean? Like in his mind, he was so different. What he meant by different was I'm no longer like my dad. You know, I'm different from my parents. Or, But he just looked outside himself and he found some kids that 
that he thought looked cool or thought they had something going on, and then he just imitated them. And that's how he was answering that question, who am I? You know, what, what kind of person am I going to be? He, he found a group. Uh, teenagers do the same thing now, only they just spend like, you know, 45 minutes on TikTok and come out weird, you know. Um, because that's what we do. That's what we all do. It's one thing when teenagers do that, but you ever seen adults still trying to, you know, maybe adults pretending to be somebody they're not or adults still trying to figure out who they are? I guess I'm as guilty as anybody. In many ways, the man that I am has to do also with the, the people. I, I've looked outside too in many ways to decide who I am. And, and for me, I've been married to Casey for 34 years. And so in many ways, the man that I have become, the man that I am has to do with my promises to her my desire to really make that woman happy and to be a, a good man for her. Most of what I do is somehow circling around that, the obligations and responsibilities to her. We have a son, one son, his name is Wade, I love Wade. Um, as a dad, one of my guiding principles has just been, I don't want ever to do anything in my life that I would have a hard time explaining to him. You know what I mean? I never want to have to look him in the eye and be ashamed of myself. I, I always want to be the man that he sees me as. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I want to never have to do something that I wouldn't want to look him in the eye and explain. A real desire to be faithful in his life. And, and then on top of that, it's all of you people. You know, as a pastor, I'm very aware of my obligations, my responsibilities, and my calling before you. I know that the Bible says that I am called to care for your souls, all of you, and that I will give an account to God for that. I, I take that really seriously. A lot of decisions I make are, are based on my thoughts about you and, and, and how I want to be faithful to you. But I'm not that different from you. I just described marriage, you know, relationships and job, that, that sort of thing. And that's where a lot of us find our identity as adults. Now, what I just said, you know, some of you are like almost going to cry. You thought that's so beautiful. That makes perfect sense to you. And it makes sense in a way. I, I stand by everything I just said. But I want you to understand the fragility of all of that. Because the fact of the matter is, as much as I love my wife and all the promises I made to her, the promises I made to her sort of had one phrase, very important phrase. We said it at the end. I didn't think about it much when we said it, but what I said was, all these promises, I will love, honor, I, I will cherish you till death do us part. Till death. Which means there's gonna come a day when one or the other of us is gonna go to the cemetery and bury the other one and then go home alone. That's just reality. And, and if your whole identity is wrapped up in that, you know, being somebody's wife or being somebody's husband, then I'm telling you, there's an identity crisis coming for you that's going to be very, very different because who are you if you're no longer a spouse, no longer that person's husband, that person's wife, those of you who've ever buried a child, it's the same thing. All of a sudden, that child is taken, and you have to wonder, who, who, if I'm not that boy's mama, that boy's father, then, then who am I? What am I? 
And, and even just the job. You know, I'm, I'm your pastor today, but gosh, if something happened, y'all would replace me. Y'all would have, you know, I mean, Rod Ellis would have his feet on my desk by next Sunday. I mean, you know, it would, that fast, somebody would be standing in my place. I mean, and, and some of you have lost jobs like that. You just lose your job. And if all of your identity is all wrapped up in your job, then, then all of a sudden you don't know who you are anymore. If you're not going to get up and drive to that office, if nobody's going to call you their boss or their manager, if nobody anymore is looking to you or looking for you, if you're not the banker or the teacher, then who are you? What are you? I mean, you understand, as adults, we can come into all sorts of situations where everything we built our identity around is taken away, and then it's, it's a crisis. I mean, we are lost. So I ask you again, who, who are you? And how do you begin to answer that question? Because I'm telling you, when John the baptizer arrives on the scene, he is already, man, I mean, he is already absolutely self-convinced. He knows who he is. He knows what his purpose is. I mean, his whole deal is out there in the wilderness, and, and nobody can rattle him. Nobody can make him doubt. Nobody can pull him away from what God has called him to do. And Jesus said, this is one of the greatest men ever. So where does that kind of self-knowledge come from? John, I mean, that ability to just know your purpose and know who you are and know who you're not. Where does that come from? Well, John was in the wilderness. Obviously, he probably went out there in nature and found himself, right? I mean, that's what the world would tell us to do. Go find yourself. I mean, some of you are from a generation where that meant going out, you know, outdoors, out in nature. You know, some of you old hippies would go out and lay out under the stars and, and find yourself. Like I say, kids these days are never going to do all that. You know, they're going to go to, like I say, spend 20 minutes on TikTok and find themselves there. But it's that whole idea. That John somehow seems to have, you know, come to this incredible self-knowledge and you just wonder, you know, how did he arrive at that? Because these days the world would say, well, you, you got to find yourself. They would tell John to look inside himself and discover his authentic self. Because you don't want to be inauthentic. I mean, this is the world we live in. You, you got to go out there and figure out what makes you happy. You got to look inside yourself and get in touch with your deeper feelings. And then you need to express that. You need to live that. You need to go inside yourself and find your truth. Isn't that what we're told? Find your truth and then you go out there and you live your truth. And, and nobody can question your truth because it's yours. And so we just all look at each other and we say, hey, you do you. And you go out there and you do you. And that makes perfect sense. Except who are you? And how are you supposed to know? world says, be true to yourself. I guarantee you, John the baptizer, if you, t if, if you asked him if he went out in the wilderness to find himself, he would have no idea what you're talking about. That's not his worldview. That's not his philosophy. There's nothing in his head that would make him think that somehow he was going to look inside himself to figure out who he is. That's not the way John's brain worked. Honestly, for generations, it's not the way anybody's brain worked. This is sort of new. I had two grandfathers, William Harris and L.D. Pearson. William Harris was a farmer. He worked on a farm, worked hard, and he was poor. 
worked hard. My other grandfather, LD, was poor too, but he lived in the city. He worked in a factory. He worked at Anaconda back in the day. I can promise you, though, neither William or LD, neither one of them ever, you know, stopped one day at work and asked themselves, is, is this job making me happy? I, I promise you. LD Pearson never asked Anaconda, am I living my truth? He never would have thought, is this my authentic self? LD only asked himself, is this job going to provide for the needs of my family, my wife and my kids? That's all he asked. My grandfather never looked for his authentic self any more than my grandma laid in a tanning bed. I mean, you know, they didn't think like that. That wasn't their world. Our world is different, and our world tells us in every chance and every turn, be true to yourself. No rights, no wrongs, no rules for you. You are free. Let it go, right? That's the anthem. That's the coming out anthem. Sociologists have been in conversation trying to understand and explore this philosophy, this moment in in all of our lives where we've begun to think like this, and it really is it may have roots in, in, in historical thought, but, but nothing like this has ever happened where the whole world is taken up with this same frame of mind, this, this enthronement of self, I would call it, where every single person is, is encouraged to think of themselves as the center of everything. Maybe social media has sort of ignited that because kids grow up these days kind of thinking that they're kind of the star of their own show. You know, the show they got going on Instagram or, or TikTok or whatever, that they sort of think of themselves as a person with, with influence, with followers. See, this is awesome that you can think of yourself as having all that power without ever leaving your basement, you know. No accomplishment, but just this idea that, that, that I have people who are paying attention to me. That's brand new. I don't think anybody prior to this generation has had that ability to have their own personal platform. And with that platform, we therefore imagine that we should be elevated, that, that ourselves should be elevated, and the world just continues to applaud and affirm that. And so with that just comes this, this notion that inside of me is this authentic self, and, and I am obligated to find that self and, and then present it, express it. Find myself, get in touch with myself. Oprah would tell you, you know, to find your truth and then you must live your truth. Okay, all that's insane. And yet we hear it so much that most of us just accept it like it's common sense. I think it's Robert Bella, a sociologist, who coined the term expressive individualism. That's what they call it, this worldview, this philosophy, expressive Individualism, the idea is that you have as an individual this, this self, these feelings, this um, identity that you must find and then impose upon the world. Um, the goal of expressive individualism, I use the term here, is to look inside yourself and express any and all desires found within. Like, like this is the goal. And this is the world in which our children, our teenagers, are, this is where they live. This is how they think. That, that there's this goal of your life. You look inside yourself, and then you just sort of figure out who you are and what you are, and then you just announce that to the world. You have this sort of freedom, but also obligation to express any and all desires found within, because if it's in you, it's automatically good. It's automatically good. 
So here's the thing. The only thing you must obey is what you feel, the the truth you choose. You don't have to listen to anybody else. Nobody can criticize you. Nobody can judge you. See, that's the thing when we make everybody the authority in their own life. When you just get to do you, nobody can judge you. Nobody can criticize you. It's sort of an intoxicating way of living when you just realize, you mean I can just do whatever I want? I can just act out whatever I feel. I can tell you I'm a cat, and then you have to just give me a litter box? I'm not making stuff up, y'all. This is the world. We have teenagers who go home, and I mean, they left home in the morning to come home in the afternoon and tell their parents that they're a cat, identifying as a cat. That's, that's, I'm not making that up. It's kind of insanity, and again, if I look inside myself and, and I think that I might be a cat, uh, something in me tells me I'm sure not going to, you know, act on that. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, there's that part of me that says, well, you know, I'm, gonna, you know, I'm, I'm not going to let that out. But our culture tells you, no, you must. You must. You must be your authentic self, and if you're a cat, or whatever it is you want to call yourself, you just step on out there. You let it go. The uh, only thing to obey is what you feel. What did Elsa tell us? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I don't care what they may say. You know, it doesn't matter what people say. You do you. Y'all know what I'm saying, right? I mean, you understand that I'm not making stuff up up here? The only thing you must obey is what you feel. So follow me here. And I don't say this, uh, I say this with a heavy heart because I feel like, I feel like people are really, really going to be hurt. Um, the world now recognizes two great sins. And when I say that, I know, I'm, I know I'm using religious language and the world doesn't think of itself as religious. But this is what you get when you turn away from the God who made us. This is what you get when you turn away from Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth, which means you're not gonna look inside yourself and find some other truth. You don't get to live your truth. It's Jesus who is the truth. But when you turn away from the God who made us and Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life, understand this isn't going to go well, and, and this is what you have. So even though the world thinks that it's you know, evacuated God from the scene and we feel like we're very unreligious, this worldview acts like a religion. People are very rigid in it. And I would say in our world now, there are two great sins, and, and I would love to hear you uh, talk if you think I'm wrong. Two great sins. The first one is to deny yourself. I mean, if it's in you, if you feel like this is how you were born, you are sort of obligated to put it out there. You know, live your truth, be your authentic self. It's somehow in the world seen to be a failure if you somehow would deny yourself. And then the second sin is probably greater than the first. You're not allowed to question or judge someone else's self-expression. If they're living their truth, you don't have anything to say. You can't question You can't criticize, you can't judge. The only thing you can do is affirm and applaud. Your only option. You're you're not allowed even just to silently sit there and think your own thoughts. I mean, you have to publicly, you have to enter in, participate in their expression. Are y'all paying enough attention to the world? Do you know what I'm telling you? It's two great sins to deny yourself, to question or judge someone else's self-expression, I just find this so heartbreaking because when you tell people to follow their heart, 
I mean, what does the Bible say? The Bible says the heart is deceitful. The heart is deceitful. So, so you're going to follow your feelings? Your feelings lie to you. Your feelings are fickle. You feel one thing today, and, and you'll feel something different later. And to tell people that whatever is in there today, man, you know, you look at an eight-year-old kid and say, whatever you think you are, let's just go with that. Are you kidding? When I was eight years old, I wanted to be a ventriloquist. I did. I did. I wanted to be a ventriloquist. You know, you don't listen to somebody when they're eight years old telling you what they're going to be, what they are. I mean, there's so many things about the world I didn't understand. Things about myself I didn't understand. You, you, you can't just ask a child, or for that matter, ask anybody, you know, what do you think you are? I mean, because you look inside yourself, there aren't any answers there. Your feelings, your heart, it's deceitful, it's, it's wicked. You cannot look inside yourself and expect to find a, a way to live your life. It's not in you. Y'all ever peeled an onion in the kitchen? Hands up. Yeah, some of y'all ain't never been to the kitchen in your life. I, you're... So you peel an onion, right? You peel an onion by, you know, peeling off the layers. Yeah. So you ever try to peel an onion and, and peel it down to get to just the onion? You know what I'm talking about? Like, what if you just peeled all the layers off and then got down there to the middle where the onion is? What do you find out? Ain't no onion in there. It's not like an onion inside the onion. You peel off the layers and you got nothing. Turns out the onion was just the layers. And your heart's kind of like that. Underneath the feelings and the desires and and the thoughts and the fantasies, I'm telling you, there ain't nothing in there that's going to be solid. You're going to build your life on it. And this is what's horrifying to me. What kind of life will children have when this is what they're told? I, I mean, where does this lead? I mean, honestly, the children who come home and say that they're cats, they're identifying as a cat, where does that way of life lead them, and why, doesn't people, why don't people seem to care? I mean, these are people's lives, and people's lives will be destroyed because the Bible says there is a way that seems right to you. I, I think some people would call that your truth. There's a way that seems right to you, but that path leads to destruction. So that truth that you're claiming as your own, that nobody can question, nobody can judge, the Bible's already judged it and said, that is the path that leads you straight off the cliff of destruction. We're supposed to care about people and and care about people enough to, to try to wave our hands in front of them when we feel like they're about to drive their life off a cliff, but that's not the world we live in now. You can applaud, you can affirm, but you cannot question You cannot judge, you cannot even tell people the truth. So I want you to understand this predicament you're in. The world says be true to yourself. Jesus says deny yourself. Do you understand? You gotta make a choice. You have to make a choice. Now this sermon is a challenge for every single one of us because we all struggle. This is the world in which we live. And as I say, you've already accepted most of this as common sense. You've really got some rethinking to do about how life works. The world says be true to yourself. Jesus says deny yourself. You can't have it both ways. When Jesus says deny yourself, we're talking about that self that that you work so hard to find. 
that truth that you say is yours and you're going to follow your truth and stand in your truth, I'm telling you, that's the very truth that the truth of Christ reveals as being a lie, a path to destruction. And you're not going to change that, even if nobody else will tell you the truth. I'm talking about church people. I mean, this is a world in which we live. I mean, church people now, I mean, if you try to preach what the Bible says, if y'all don't agree with it, y'all just ignore it. I can't tell you how many times I sit down with couples about to get married, and they're Christian couples coming from Christian families, and they're living together. And I'll just sort of try to ask, you know, without, you know, running them out the door, I mean, how did y'all arrive at that decision? Um, how did two Christian people just decide to do what the Bible clearly forbids? And they'll look back at me and say, well, Pastor Tim, you know, we thought about it. We prayed about it. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, you didn't. We prayed about it. And, you know, it just saves us so much money. So, again, understand it's that idea that, you know, well, Jesus would want us to save money. It's just amazing how we can turn it all around in such a way where following Jesus never, ever makes you have to, you know, follow a difficult choice. In your mind, following Jesus still lets you do everything you already wanted to do. Isn't that amazing how that works out? I'm mostly flabbergasted by the young couples who come from Christian families, and neither set of parents had anything to say about the choice that their kids were making. You know? As I say, we live in a world where nobody gets to comment and nobody feels like they can tell anybody the truth anymore. You just do you. You're not going to have it both ways. If you're going to be true to yourself and understand, you're not going to be a follower of Jesus because Jesus says, if anyone's going to be my follower, they have to deny themselves. I'm talking about that self that Lady Gaga said you were born this way. That's the very self that you have to crucify. I mean, it's the very self that Jesus came to set you free from. Because the problem is, you'll end up being a slave. You'll be a slave to those desires. You'll be a slave to those feelings in your heart. I mean, I know Elsa told us that she was going to have no rules and be free. You know, just live in her truth. But this is what I'm telling you. If you think that you're going to follow your own feelings and be free, you don't know what slavery is yet. You're not very good at telling yourself no. Can I just point that out to you? Not even going to ask you about that diet you started last Sunday. You started a diet last Sunday because that's was going to be the best year ever. And you thought, it's also going to be the skinniest year ever. I'm going to lose weight. And you went on a diet on Sunday. And you did great through Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And then Thursday, that diet died. It died. You killed it in two bags of Oreos. And you washed them down with a jar of mayonnaise. And it was over. Just over. Because it turns out you're not very good at saying no to your own desires, your own feelings. You're not good at that. If you're hungry, if you want it, you want to have it, and you're going to get it, and nobody's going to stop you. And I'm telling you, that's exactly the, the way of thinking that will uh, destroy your life. Jesus says, deny yourself. Um, I know this is going to sound really harsh for some of you, but I I stand beside it. You can't be a Christian until you submit to Jesus' authority to command your life. This is what it means to follow Jesus. He's got to be your master. That means he can tell you what to do with your life. That, that means if, if your living arrangement 
is contradictory with something that Scripture plainly teaches, then you change your living arrangement. You, you don't just ignore the Bible. You don't just tell yourself, well, you know, Jesus, that was a long time ago, but, you know, I'm sure now he'd want me to be happy. I had a kid once tell me, he was telling me something he was doing, and he said, oh, Pastor Tim, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I believe that when you were young, that was a sin. It was. It is. Understand? Jesus isn't going to bend around you. Not going to bend the truth around what you think your truth is. That's not how life works. It's devastating, is it not, you all? Because I'm telling you, this is the frame of mind that just has invaded the thoughts of everybody you know, including most of the people in this room. It's very difficult to surrender to Jesus. He's got the authority to command your life. So that means you don't get to have your own truth. You just continue to surrender what you prefer to what you know Jesus has said because his truth is the truth, not yours. He's the way. He'll show you the way of life. You're not going to look inside yourself and figure out you know, which direction to go. You don't look outside to other people. You don't look inside. God help you. You can't look inside. You just look up. You, 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 you just look up. So I would say this, and I want you to understand. I know we say the gospel is good news, and it, the word means good news, but I want to say this. The gospel's better news. I just want to say this. It's better news because it seems like how can you get a better message than you do you? That sounds fantastic. Listen, you just do whatever you want. Jesus will smile on you. You just do you. You just look inside yourself. You just come back and tell us who you are and what you're going to be, and we'll just all applaud, and we'll affirm you, and you can count on that. Nobody will ever question you. Nobody's ever going to shame you. You're just, you just do you. I mean, how is there a message better than that? Except that it's terrible. As I say, the heart is deceitful above all else, the scripture says. There's a way that seems right to you, but it will destroy you, the Bible says. It, it, it's not doing anybody a favor to tell them, yeah, you just go right on ahead. You, you, you just pour on the gas and you go full speed down that path that we all know is going to destroy you. It's not love. So this one, telling the gospel's better news. It's better than that because Jesus is a better master. You know what I'm saying? He's a better master than all the desires that bubble up from inside you. As I say, man, if you just think you're going to follow your feelings, you're going to look inside yourself, and you're going to just be yourself, your authentic self, I'm telling you, that is going to be a kind of slavery you've never imagined. You don't need to express your authentic self. You need to be set free from yourself. You need to be delivered from yourself. Understand, the gospel is better news because it introduces you to the master who loves you, the master who himself says, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You don't know any kind of slavery until you become a slave to your own self. Some of you have battled addiction. You know that you have desires, and those desires will destroy you. It's not just the addicts in the house, that we all have desires that you must not follow. Gospel's better news because Jesus is a better master. Uh, so a couple of things. You must crucify the self the world tells you to be true to. You want to have the best year ever? you got to get the gospel straight in your own head. 
you have to surrender yourself to Jesus and understand that he does have the authority to command your life. And his commandment is to crucify your old self. I know, I know. It's the same self that the world says, oh, you do you. No, no, Jesus says the opposite. You're not going to do you. When they said to John the baptizer, who are you? He never, ever said anything like, well, I'm John the Baptist. You must have read about me, you know, in the Bible. I'm John the Baptist. My parents, you know, were, you know, in the gospel, Luke. Zachariah was my dad. I'm sure you've heard of him. No. Who are you, John? And he says, I'm a voice. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. I mean, he gets that straight out of the Bible. Who are you, John? He says, I'll tell you one thing. I'm not the big deal. Jesus is the big deal. And then John explains, man, my whole life is just about disappearing into Christ. I, I want to become less and less, and I want him to become more and more. I'm just going to disappear into him. You understand the difference between John's way of thinking about life and your way of thinking about life? I'll close with this. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is the words of the apostle Paul. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body, trusting in the Son of God who loves me, gave himself for me. He loves you. He gave himself for you. This is why I say you can trust him to be a better master. He loves you. He's a shepherd of your heart. He knows everything inside you. He knows what's inside you, and he knows exactly the way that will lead you to life. Trust him. Disappear into him. You're not the big deal. All those kids out there trying to be the, the star of their own show, you know, the hero of their own movie, what they don't understand is your movie will end and nobody will have watched it. There's a way that seems right to you, but that path's going to lead you to destruction. You want to have the best year ever? Do this every day. Deny yourself. Disappear into Christ. He must become more and more in you. You must become less and less. Pray with me.